Welcome to Applied Intelligence, a conversation at the intersection of people, technology, and getting stuff done. And now, here's your host, Imtiaz Ahmed. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Applied Intelligence. I'm Imtiaz Ahmed, your host. Today, I have the pleasure of uh, interviewing someone I've been working with uh, for quite some time now, I think just over six months. Uh, his name is Pete Roxburg. He's my coach. Um, so Pete is a personal development and startup coach um, working in the field for many, many years. Uh, and today we'll have a wonderful conversation about the importance of having a coach in your development uh, and what they can unlock for you. So Pete, welcome to the show. Well, thanks for having me. Great to see you again in Tiazant. Welcome everyone else. Cool. So let's, let's get into, you know, who Pete is. Uh, and how the, you know, got to being a coach. I think, you know, becoming a coach is a interesting journey given, you know, you don't necessarily wake up or go to school thinking that you're going to end up being a professional coach. How did you kind of uh, end up here? You're completely right. It is a journey because, you know, when we first met, I gave you that story. And everyone has their story, which is just really extended elevator pitch um i don't know maybe we want to go a little bit more into the non-pretty fine version the actual journey today sound good sound good let's do it okay well you know you'd said to me previously what if i broke it that my journey into five chapters five chapters if you like which got me thinking because of course there's lots of ways to do it you know chapter one two three four five for example but I really looked at it and thought more about the emotional state that I was in. And I think it's probably quite a nice way to look at your life for anyone. Mine started with this kind of strange mix of anxiety and adventure. As a kid, I was a Peter Pan character. As, and yeah, I was living in a fantasy world a lot of the time. I think maybe edgy of us. But that kind of swings and roundabouts because made school very difficult at times. I was also very small. I was like the smallest kid in, mm. in the class. And I was vegetarian in the like 70s and 80s, which was kind of a bit freaky at the time. And I didn't like sports. So it wasn't the greatest time in, in school, but got through it mostly by just selling things, hustling, surviving. And I think that sentiment of surviving school. What about yourself? For me, from a primary school point of view, I went to four different primary schools because my parents, you know, we moved around a lot in my early years. And then, which, you know, meant that every, you know, so often I would have to learn the skills of making new friends and working out how I was going to fit in the new social clique. High school, however, I went to one high school, which I had to work very hard to get into. It was a government, it was a selective school for boys, but it was um, a public school, which you had to do an entrance exam to get into. That school, I would say, equipped me in a lot of ways to really learn how to learn and appreciate learning. Um, so, you know, every kid goes through bullying, every kid goes through, you know, social issues and whatnot. But overall, my high school experience was very positive uh, in terms of forming who I am today. I, you know, you have the challenges that everyone has, but the teachers that I had really understood what education was meant to be for, right? 
So my most influential teacher, it was in the 11th, she was my English teacher in the 11th and 12th grade. And she would typically start the lesson by saying, okay, the first half of the lesson will focus on how you answer the questions in the, you know, in the HSC. So you actually do well uh, and get the marks you need to get into the university course that you want to get into. The second half of the lesson will actually learn how to learn and how to critically think and how to critically analyze a text how to understand, you know, what a power play is when we're studying Shakespeare, etc. And that level of critical thinking is now what I do on a daily basis and has certainly set me apart from you know, a lot of my peers in terms of critically analyzing situations or business opportunities, etc. So I loved my schooling time. And I think the fact that we don't necessarily teach logic, rhetoric, anymore in the school curriculum and it's all about answering tests and exams and route learning stuff and regurgitating stuff is not producing the level of problem solving that we need to really maximize what the future entails given all of the technology coming so i think you know yeah absolutely spot on because it's that thing that in today's world probably two of the most important things being able to communicate that's always been the case and being able to problem solve so actually those are two skills that every kid should have yeah for sure it's... what's chapter two okay so chapter two leave school and in the uk it's a little bit different to the us and other places so you can leave at kind of 15 slash 16 years old i left school i'd gone off the rails i'd had some exams I failed English, which of course is a, I got a big, which is the same as failing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's um, a D, which is the same as failing because only a C or a boat counted. So it's a kind of shock. And we also relocated across the country as a family. The family then imploded it and it was kind of rough time. But for me, probably that whole era started by being marked with a lot of despair. Uh, I was in a very bad place for a few years then, and it's slowly filtered out. But those early years, really bad because everything just seemed pointless, and I was just consumed by darkness. But kind of very end of teens, maybe 20 years old or something, there was a little turning point, and that turning point was I was introduced to this world, fantasy world, if you like. But in this fantasy world were all these characters that were super heroes. And of course, Zig Ziglar, Jim Rowan, Tony Robbins, and all these characters were bigger than life. And they would say, you can just do whatever you want to do. The choice is yours. Is you can choose to have mediocrity or you can choose to be anything. And I was in a bad place. But these people spoke to me, resonated. And that was a turning point, a slow turning point. Not a rapid pivot, more of a kind of decade-long shift. But I just consumed everything that I could from those people because it was sensible, it was reasoned, and, and it offered something else. It was the promised land and a way out of where my head was. That's really chapter two. I'm like... When, when people speak of, you know, turning points, I always try to understand what was that particular moment. What was the situation that first got you there? I'll give you an example. Like 
uh, I've worked for the same company coming up to 15 years. And for the interview, I was actually running late and I missed the turn onto the street where the interview was happening. And I don't like being late. And I had already gone through so many interviews that I was like, ah, oh, stuff it. I'll just go home. It's a group interview anyway. They won't miss me. And then the HR lady, uh, she gave me a call as I was driving off. I was like, you know, two, three minutes away. She gave me a call and she asked me, you know, where are you? And I'm like, uh, oh, I missed the turn. I'm just driving down uh, Victoria Road. She's like, oh, I know where you are. Just take a U-turn. When you sit the McDonald's, uh, take a left and, and you'll be at the office. So had she not called me on that day, I was going home. I wouldn't have had the job that I've had for the last week. <laughs> so, so did you get those any points that you can identify? Yeah. So do you think there was like one, it doesn't necessarily have to be one thing that inspired you to go down this path, but was there something that like just clicked when you, you know, discovered all of this content that really, you know, changed your mind? It's funny because I can probably, probably, because we know what our memory is like, especially when it's a long time ago, but I can probably remember the moment. And yeah, one of the things that I did, which was probably quite, I don't know, Ratch at the time was I got married when I was 20. Divorced a couple of years later. Neither of us were ready for it. It was just like, but my father in law at the time, he gave me this tape. And you know, the kind where you get the pencil in there to wind it up, that kind of tape. It's because a lot of people, in fact, it's one of those things, isn't it? If you know what a pencil and a cassette are for, you're old. <laughs> yes. but, he gave me this tape. I can't remember who was on it. I think it could have been Zig Ziglar or someone quite similar. So it was very motivational. And it was really about putting the work in. And you have to just keep at it and at it and at it. And you can have anything if you want. And that was probably that moment because it was just a completely different world. Putting it in the cassette player in the car, which I think at the time was like about £150 Ford Escorts. What's that? It was just like, wow. <laughs> yeah, probably is now. Probably worth thousands. <laughs> yeah. And so, and actually, through that journey, we had a couple of things. So, I then remember going to some conference in Brighton and seeing some of these speakers in the flesh and feeling the energy in the room. And to me, it didn't matter what people thought because, of course, a lot of people think that a lot of this stuff is like a cult. But the thing is, Positive emotions and people feeling better, uh, living better lives. And yes, sometimes they dream about things they might not get, but so do all the people go and buy the lottery tickets every week. So I'd rather be happy. <laughs> and I would rather be surrounded by positive people and people that are optimistic about the future rather than people that are negative and have pessimistic views on what the world has to offer. And everyone has their own responsibility over themselves, their families and their communities, and not necessarily, you know, going out to uh, a nation state or a global state. But you have certain power and influence over that very small circle that we just talked about. And yeah. if you want to run that with positivity and build something great for yourself and your family and the direct people around you, that's a great life. Um, you don't necessarily have to solve every single problem in the world, but at least having the positive impact around people around. Yeah, exactly. And if you can spread some positivity and immerse yourself in positivity, this is great. 
But at the same time, it's being aware that this is not some kind of crazy idea where everything's wonderful because the world is not wonderful. And there isn't a positive in every single thing. There's terrible things that happen in the world. There's terrible things that happen to people. But still, our outlook is going to go one way or the other generally. And we know that people that have a positive, optimistic outlook generally have much better life outcomes in terms of health, wealth, and happiness. What's the next chapter? Chapter three. <laughs> now, chapter three was about growth and confidence. And I got through this point into, and reading all this stuff, consuming it, I decided to go back to school, effectively. So I took my English exam and passed it. I then went to university. In fact, I actually did it in two phases. So I was working at the same time and doing this. But the second phase meant that I graduated later on. And of course, the funny thing is, being a little bit older, I think I was 27, 28, graduated with first class honours. So in the UK, that's like the highest level that you can have. Um, and I loved it. But of course, it gave me a lot of confidence, which is why I encourage most people, not all people, but most people to get a degree or get some kind of qualification that has meaning that pushes them because you're proving to yourself more than anyone else. It doesn't matter whether you ever use it. But I did that. Then I found a sport that I was actually really good at, uh, which was climbing. I don't mean world-class, but I was very good. So suddenly I grew in confidence there. Then I found my sales skills that I developed in school came in pretty useful in the real world. And then I got invited to lecture accountancy at the place where I'd studied. So I did that. And then I ended up going into software development and ended up writing books for Microsoft. So went from failing English-ish to being a multi-time author for big companies. um, So I grew in confidence. But like many things, chink in the armor which was there was no balance. But we'll come to that but later. But growth, and growth quite often comes with confidence and that belief in your own ability to do it. Super cool. Chapter four. Yeah, straight in. Okay, as I said, no balance. And I was 110%. So it's work. Okay, hey, I can work 100 hours a week. I can do multiple all-nighters in a week. Hey, brain's going, oh, well, I'll just... You know, have a couple of bottles of wine and knock myself out of the night if I need to. Just a hundred percent all the time. And that's not a sustainable way to live. If you cannot have your foot to the floor, full gaps all the time, something's going to give. And I think we may come to it later. There's a good chance. But nowadays I look at things very much in terms of our body, our mind and our relationships. And all I was focused on was actually just, you could say my mind in terms of building something but a very small sliver and everything else suffered as a result of it. So the inevitable happened, burnout. And I think probably a few people have been there. A lot of people have been there. And a lot of people who have been there and not realised that they were there. And they just cloud through with the tank empty and, you know, make other problems even worse. Specifically. Yeah, that is the kind of sad thing, isn't it? That when you're burnt out, you generally don't actually know that you're burnt out. If you're walking around saying, I'm burnt out, the chances is you're not. <laughs> it's the people that can't say it that probably are. Yeah, uh, I, I've i been through phases of my, I want to say, earlier 20s where I was working so hard and I was 
it was like a competition for me to outwork everybody else and be better than everybody that I was competing against at any cost, including the cost of my health. And that I look back at that now and I'm like, how stupid was I um, to do that? Would I, like, if I had channeled my energy in a better way, I probably would have had the same outcomes, if not better outcomes from uh, whatever measure you want to throw out there, from wealth to career progression to whatever. But I would would be in a much better health position than I, I'm in right now. I'm very healthy now and everything is fine. But, you know, I sacrificed a lot and it came at the cost of my health. And I regret that now. But and I've taken that learning and changed all the things in my life right now. But yeah, not realizing balance or not having balance and not being taught value of balance is is really bad like when i i wish outside of teaching children and teaching like young teens about financial literacy which is something that we don't do in in education today and logic and rhetoric we don't also teach people the the value of balance balance and moderation yeah everything is extreme uh-huh all this stuff that's going on right now every game is extreme and that's not life. And that's not how you get to develop well-rounded, good contributing citizens to a society. Right? So what do you say to that 27-year-old, just like we were, where you're hungry? And you're hungry either to win or for the money. It's very rarely anything else when you're in your 20s, to win or for the money. What do you say to them? Because you know where they're headed. I know where they're headed. And... There are two sides to this coin, maybe three sides to this coin. And what I mean by that is in your 20s, you have so much more energy. You have so much more, well, energy is maybe not the right word. You have so much more time, especially if you're, you know, if you're getting married later and you're starting family later, you have a lot more time to yourself and you really need to be accountable to yourself, how you manage that time. And if I were to be speaking to my 25 year old self, I would teach myself how to, or I would talk to myself about how to really focus on other things other than just work. So yes, you know, finishing or doing more than my capacity really, you know, helped me learn a lot and like really pushed me to help multiple people, help multiple businesses get past certain situations. But that came at the cost of my health. So I don't know if I, if I talk to my 25 year old self, I would say focus on solving the problem and, and get it done, but don't overcommit yourself because it's not worth it. Rather focus on health, focus on the longer term goals that you have for yourself and play it that way. Like working with yourself on, on my compass, which is something we're going to come to later on. I wish I had done that 10 years ago rather than six months ago. Like I talked about having these grandiose visions of things that I wanted to do in the future uh, from a very young age. I, I I met my wife at university and at university I told her I was going to be a CEO of a, of a Fortune 500 company. Um, so I had that vision there, but I wasn't necessarily plotting out how I was going to do that. I was kind of just going through the motions and working as hard as I possibly could. Would I do that again? Probably not. I would take a much more balanced view on it. And I would also tell my 25-year-old self, have a coach. I had mentors who were helping me through business situations or, you know, learning and experience gaps that I had, but I didn't really have someone who was guiding me through what I actually wanted to get to or actually where I actually wanted to go. Yeah, that's an interesting observation because it's not just 
guiding you to where you want to go. I think part of it is opening that world of possibilities so you can actually see beyond your limited vision. And, and it's not to say 25-year-olds all have limited vision. We all have limited vision. Yeah. And it's, it's the way things are. You know, we have something and that, that's all we see. And it is probably that typical thing with in your 20s. It's like, I'm going to be retired by 30. Anyone in their 20s, I guarantee half the people listening that are in their 20s said they're going to be retired by 30. Yeah. And, and we all know, in your 30s, you go, I'm going to be retired by 40. Your 40s, you start going, I'm not so sure about this. Hit 50, you go, I never want to retire. <laughs> I never want to be irrelevant. Right. Um, yeah. Pete, what's the final chapter? Well, the, let's not call it final. Let's chapter. not use final. I'm sure yeah, there's other chapters. Well, what, wasn't the fifth chapter before the. Yeah. It could be the exactly. I quite like this because it is like a chapter per decade. So hopefully there's a few more to go. Yeah. Um, okay. Final chapter really is about service. And one of the big things. Okay. So I came out of the that world that I'd been in. I'd founded a couple of companies, sold a couple of companies. And I was burnt out. And I took time in and reflected. I learned, I grew, and I did it in a very kind of zen way, really. I said, yeah, I wanted nothing to do with computers, nothing to do with staff, nothing to do with money. I just wanted a simple life. Um, in fact, this is a story we've never spoken about because, of course, our sessions are not about me. They're about you. And I became a bike mechanic, like, you know, bicycle, well, not not like Zen and the Artemis, just like internet, it's that, not that kind and it's a really kind of interesting thing because it breaks things down very simply. But actually, it teaches you lots of things you need to know. You have to know where you're going. You have to start with the end in mind. You have to do things in an order, in a sequence, in a logical way. You've got to start with first things first. You have to have things organized and set up. I mean, you don't have to, but it's going to be very messy. So, mise en place. It's like the chef. You've got everything ready and it's methodical and it gives you time to think, but also be truly mindful in the work that you're doing. Because suddenly you're not trying to solve a big problem. You're trying to do a small thing, just that one step really well. And you're focused. Wheel building, for example, is an absolute perfect for that because it is, you're just in absolute flow. And from that, of course, I found a business, sold that. And then I realized through experiences with other people that actually it's much better helping other people rather than chasing your own success or what you consider to be success, which led me into teaching initially, teaching English to people, or which of course led to business English and then people would have issues and then that became coaching. So then I qualified in coaching actually quite a while after I'd been coaching and this moved me into this whole area that what I realized is that through helping other people live, build better lives or just deal with life sometimes. I mean, there are some people just need help dealing with life that you derive great meaning, personal meaning. And meaning is one of the big things in life. The other being growth. And if you want, in my opinion, if you want to be a good coach and guide, not just purely coaching, you need to constantly learn and grow. So this is a way that you're 
getting meaning and you're getting growth through helping other people, which seems like a good deal to me. Your point on really focusing and getting good at what you're doing. Uh, one of the things that I love to do is watch the very best in their own. I remember, I know, I can't recall if it was in Jiro Dreams of Sushi, um, but there was a Japanese chef who was the leading soba noodle chef in Japan. And he had been at the top of his game, as in ranked top uh, soba noodle chef in Japan for over 20 years. And there's a clip of him preparing his soba noodles. And he does this every single day. And the line that he said whilst he, uh, he was being recorded is, one day I will perfect myself. Yeah. After so, being the top guy for 20 years. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, that's why I love watching um, sports documentaries. Um, as well, and I love watching how the elite of the elite get to the top and then what they do after they get to the top because it's fascinating. You know, a lot of yeah. people do well as number two, do really well as being the underdog, but when you're at the top, um, that changes the game because you're not necessarily competing against someone else. Sorry, you're not necessarily competing anymore. Your competition is yourself and really to discover what the top is, right? So yeah. it's fascinating. This is not kind of white like in business. It's where if you're number one in the market, you're probably far better off trying to compete with yourself, I guess. It's, it is that thing of you've got to raise the bar. Yeah, and define where that bar is for yourself and for your industry and for your category, etc. Super cool. And this is a great segue though to the first real question. I mean, we spent half an hour just talking about <laughs> me your autobiography which is amazing but, uh, which is a great segue like to why it's important to having a coach and that's you know the the crux of this podcast but you're in the context of being at the top of your game like you think of michael jordan you think of all of the sports stars and you think of a lot of the ceos that lead Porsche 500 companies today they all have coaches right um, so why is it important to have a coach and what reason have people given you as a coach, you know, to find somebody who can help you in the journey? Kind of two questions there, but maybe to qualify really, when we talk about coach, we have many different types of coaches and this is important to realize because sports coaches that we talked about, and then we have kind of life coaches, which encompass many types of coaching and many types of areas. Then we have specialists like financial coaching because a lot of people do have problems with finance, probably because they didn't have financial literacy taught to them when they were in school. We have communications coaches. Is, um, politicians quite often have them, and business leaders to help them communicate more effectively. My type of coaching is about personal development. It's really about your personal performance in life as a whole. So it's very much forward focused. And even within that, there are many different approaches. So I'm only speaking from my kind of point of view. But for me, it's about someone helping you have that objective view, letting you see from different sides. Because as we said before, you focus like that and you need to see the other options, the reality of situations. I think we've all been there where we've got something that we're thinking about and actually how much of it's here and how much of it's out there in the real world. That's one area. Second is, of course, 
accountability. There are few people in the world that don't need anyone or anything to hold them accountable. They just have this natural inner accountability. But they're rare, very rare. Most of us perform a lot better if we have some kind of accountability. Whether it's just deadlines, which of course we're getting in work and academia all the time, or someone there. Because of course a lot of things that we want to develop in our life, there is no deadline, there is no boss. It's just we know we want this. So that definitely helps motivation in the third of area because taking someone else or having someone else on your journey is motivating and you can share. And sharing, of course, thing because especially for people in kind of upper professional parents or business owners it can be very hard to share with anyone what's on your mind and i would then just add that kind of feedback and guidance loop what was your first one pete it's that objective point of view and that split really because it's the objective point of view but the ability to also see around okay so to break it down it's having that uh, objective point of view. It's having that accountability to the goals that you're setting for yourself. It's having somebody to motivate you, be your cheerleader in your own squad. It's <laughs> it's sharing sharing those objectives and sharing the success uh, along the journey. And then having someone to give you that feedback and guidance as you're going through the journey as well. That's why we should be you know, having a coach. Yeah, I think you've got it in a nutshell there. And when I first introduce myself to people on our first sessions, I say, I got a hybrid approach. There's coaching, there's mentoring, there's a shoulder to cry on, someone to listen. And and then there's someone to give you that push or kick. And I think, you know, not, and this is, you know, kind of why I, I reached out to you and, you know, why I went out and found myself a coach. Uh, we'll talk about the process it finding a coach that's right for you later on in the podcast. But for me, it was, you know, I had all of these things that I wanted to achieve in the finite time that I have in this world. Not that I'm dying, but death is guaranteed, right? Uh, <laughs> uh, but, but unless you know, Musk gets onto it. <laughs> that's a different story. But, yeah. you know, we have a finite amount of time in this world. It's, I don't like using the term maximizing life, but there's a certain contribution that I'd like to make. And I think most people would like to make in the, in respect of the time that they had here and having a plan and having someone, um, or a group of people, you don't necessarily just need to have one coach for one particular area and multiple coaches, but having, you know, the framework to kind of do that, talk about it and be serious about it is because otherwise you just end up leaving through the motions. And when you do that, you're living other people's lives and other living through other people's objectives rather than your own, you know, taking that ownership and control, um, over your own journey. Take the agenda. Yeah. You're setting your own agenda rather than having yeah. any agenda for you. Super cool. Exactly. So one of the best things that, um, I've worked on with you, um, personally is, is the personal compass. Yeah. So let's transition into the personal compass for the people watching on YouTube. I will share my compass. And then when I um, asked Pete to walk us through what the personal compass is, and then we'll take it for that. And people listening on the podcast uh, through Spotify or podcasts, um, in the show notes, uh, we'll, I'll include a link to my personal compass uh, as well if you want to check it out. Cool. So, Pete, what's the compass? Okay. So, before the personal compass, 
we have the three pillars. And the three pillars, just as an overview, we talked about earlier, but it is your body, your mind, and your relationships. And the reason being, you have one body and one mind. That's it. That's all you get for this lifetime. So the pretty high priority and relationships, because we are social beings. It is really what makes us tick. Underpinning this, and this is where a lot of people seem to make a mistake, is financial security, whatever that means to you. But it's rarely a pillar in its own right. It's something that enables. So when we look at those three pillars, it allows us through a different process to really focus on what are our ultimate life goals. And of course, this was something that you'd developed. And from that, we looked at personal compass and you identified five areas that were truly important across your three pillars. And we can see here, and you don't mind me reading them out, I assume. And everyone can see them. Yeah. <laughs> just check the conference. So there are people on audio that can't see it. So, you know, I think it's... Uh... Exactly. Okay. So we name the the, uh, the what, if you like. And here we have pray, which is for the mind, weight, exercise, both body, mental growth, which is mind again, and family, which is relationships. These are the five key things, most important things for you personally. I think that's pretty true, isn't it, MTS? 100%. I wrote it, so yes, it's very true. Well, I hope it's true then. <laughs> okay, but then the next step, having identified these, is to write a compelling reason why. And if you don't know why that item's there, chances are it doesn't really mean that much to you or you haven't thought through thoroughly. So a compelling reason why. The third row. In fact, do you want to share one of your reasons why so that people get a feel for that? Yeah. Um let's do let's do mental growth. And you know, doing this podcast is for me is part of this mental growth journey. So what mental growth means for me um is it's about recharging my mind. It's about enjoyment and sharing my knowledge and experiences um with people around me. Yeah. And, this, and that's great. And I think a lot of people have mental growth as one of these things. Not everyone, but a lot of people. I have mental growth as well in there. Um, so, good. Then our third row is what does success look like? And was, how do we know that we're being successful? That was being successful. Not that we've reached some destination. Because none of these things are destinations. These are things that are there for our entire lives, we hope. So what does it look like when we are successful in this area? And I'll take one of yours there. It's, it's weight, 15% body fat. I think that says 15%. Yeah. And yeah, so that's what success looks like. And that's always going to stay there. And you may adapt it over the years. Yeah, and it doesn't... I think success can be two things. One, it's you know, achieving a finite goal, which could yeah. be a, you know, achieving a 15% body fat percentage on a weight scale or completing an Ironman, which I'm very far off from doing, but you know, it's a journey. Um, but once I complete the Ironman, it's not like I'm done. Um, the thing about you know, my weight and exercise journeys, um, is that it's an, always going to be an ongoing journey. Even if I hit my target weight, uh, or when I hit my target weight, it's not like I'm going to give up uh, my exercise routine and my eating plan, right? So 
it's about learning that all of these things have to be done consistently um, and even when you get to that peak or even when you re reach that goal it doesn't stop that's a really key point and we've discussed this differentiation before and it's goals and what they actually mean now of course goals aims objectives all these things have multiple definitions depending on who you're working with the one i prefer because it helps create this distinction is goals are future states goals. not okay. yeah as whilst objectives are smart and you can they're very specific you can measure them and so forth a goal is a state it's which very difficult to measure. I mean, it's not impossible. Or well, if you're some kind of science geek, maybe you can. But that's where we have it. And here, we're focused far more on goals, future states. Very cool. Even the 15% body fat is a state you want to maintain. Exactly. Okay. I love this fourth row. And I love what you did with it. Do you want to talk through it? Sure. More personal. Yeah. So the fourth row is for that particular pillar or for that particular column, how would you summarize all of that into one word? Um, so for me, praying is about presence. Weight, uh, my weight goal is about my health. My exercise goal is about growth, physical growth. My mental growth is about contribution. So yes, it's about learning. Yes, it's about reading and you know, consuming knowledge, but it's also about contributing by creating uh, knowledge as well, hence this podcast. Uh, the final one is family, and the one word for family is love, the important So the original question, um, Pete, for the podcast, for the autobiography question in terms of, you know, summarize your life into five chapters, the original question for the podcast was actually, um, give me five words that summarize each one of the five chapters of your autobiography, which I then realized it's very, very hard to do without this process of <laughs> trying to break it down. Hence why we went with chapter titles uh, rather than uh, just one word. But the one word um, exercise really pushes you to think about why are you trying to do something and what is the real thing that you're pushing yourself to do. Yeah, perfect. And there's another thing that it does here is which I don't know, you tell me if this happened to you when you went through the process, but actually we have the learning loop going on here. Because when you put those one words, that single word, all of the your one word things, and in most cases everyone's, really about meaning, the meaning of your life. And this allows you to fulfill the loop because as you identify that one word, you then go, actually, is this what really matters? And that takes you back to the thing that you played at the top. So if it is love, is it family? Well, yeah, probably it. But it allows you to test the logic of your own thinking in a loop that allows you to refine. Did you find any of that? Or was it just like, I know this? For me, um, I have this um, printed out and it's by the side of my desk. And you know, a lot of the times when I'm struggling with timelines with workload with overwhelm um with anxiety over stuff i look at the compass and it helps me reframe importance and prioritization of stuff 
And, you know, if I'm getting over, if I'm getting too hyped up about a trivial thing, I look at that and go, in the grand scheme of things, you know, this thing will blow over five minutes and that will be over it. So for me, it's just a reminder of what's actually important to me versus, you know, in that microcosm of time when I'm trying to solve mm-hmm. a particular issue, which has very little significance in the grand scheme of my life, um, it's a very big reset and something that brings me back and grounds me. That's good to hear because that is part of the idea of it. And the interesting, what you've just described there is this is a control mechanism. This is a way for you to feel in control. When things become too much, anxiety, overwhelmed stress, you come back to this, focuses you, it prioritizes your thoughts and feelings, as you said. So it's a way of forming control. So for all the people that feel they need control and they need a better scheduling system, because that seems to be about half the world, I need a better calendar, I need a better scheduling system. Maybe they need to start with their personal campus first to get ultimate control. I, I think I've tried every single scheduling app out there in the world. I can probably write, you know, 50 blog posts about the 50 different tools I've used. All of them are useless. <laughs> I still, it's funny. They're I just still, tools. This, 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 this book, this notepad is yeah. the best tool that I have to like, you know, really schedule what I'm actually going to do versus every single piece of technology that I've tried to, you know, use to schedule my time. Doesn't work. Exactly. And actually you bring up a really good point though. And that is notepads, quality notepads for certain things in your life. Not everything because they're not that convenient is they just so important because there's this connection between the thought and actually putting it on paper that you just don't get on screen and, and that physical presence is there forever so as Jim Rowan used to say write it down don't trust your memory write it down okay the fifth row and now we're getting to specifics and this is what are the daily habits or activities that you're going to do to actually make this happen. Because execution, activity, doing, following through, showing up, all of these things, that's what actually makes things happen. Thinking about them, talking about them, reading about them, watching something on YouTube about them doesn't actually make them happen. Turning up and doing is what makes it happen. So planning them in advance makes that simpler. Want to give a couple of your yeah i think um think, yeah the this what line when you break your one word into an actionable habit and you do that actionable habit and you're consistent with that actionable habit uh and you see the progress in yourself that is extremely rewarding um to see the momentum that positive momentum that you build within inside yourself to achieve the things that you want to actually achieve. Um, so for me, no phone past 10 p.m., putting my phone... That was not easy, what was it? No. And, you know, I have a phone addiction. Everyone's got a phone addiction. I'm not alone. Um, but putting my phone, or not putting my phone uh, on my bedside table and charging my phone next to uh, where I sleep and not, you know, waking up in the middle of the night and checking my, refreshing my feet um, has been a game trip. And 
I only did that because I committed to doing that with you, Pete. Um, so yeah. if you break these things down to very basic things and make them very easy to do for yourself, then you're going to see that. Exactly. And sleep, there's two things that jump out there. One is sleep because of course sleep is in the body pillar uh, and the quality of your sleep really determines the quality of your output and your life. So it's very important. And we all know, well, maybe we don't all know, but being on your phone, on your screen, few minutes before bed it's not going to help you that second thing was breaking things down into small things and making them easy making them rewarding and of course that ties into atomic habits which is probably the most read book of last year i don't know james clear atomic habits i mean it's straightforward simple stuff but if you act on his advice you're going to get the results because whatever our vision our dream if we break it down from the dream into the goals, into the objectives, have a strategy for doing it, break it down into tactics, into the individual activities, we still actually have to turn up, do it. And that is a lot easier if we made it habitual. Buy that book. I should get Amazon. Iliad for it. I bet you have. <laughs> uh, atomic Habits for sure. Um, the one bef the one I read before that one was um, uh, The Power of Habit by Charles Dudiak as well. Um, yeah. that's, Power of Habit is the book that I gift the most um, to people. Um, it fundamentally changed the way I think about you know, developing new habits and identifying bad habits and cutting them out. Um, but certainly, you know, when you make something really, really easy for yourself, it's much easier to get started than, you know, not going to the gym for a few years and then trying to uh, commit to doing five hours a week of gym. Very, very hard to start doing. So, you know, taking yeah. that first step, it's always the easy thing. And this first step is the key thing. Breaking things into steps, identifying the first one. So first things first, taking that step. Don't worry about what where you're going to be in 10,000 steps. I mean, it's good to have the big picture, but focus on this step. Don't worry about what's going to happen when you get to step 63, whether it's going to be raining or whether the car has broken down or whatever it is that you're worried about. Focus on this first one. So how does one take the first step to finding the right coach for that? I think of finding a coach really just like trying on clothes, going to a store and you want the new jeans. Uh, you can look at them. In wherever that might be, you know, you could be on an online portal or you may have something in your locality through work, for example. So have a look. Take like the shop window. See what people are saying, what they offer, what they look like. I mean, because quite often that helps us with our connection, even though we shouldn't be superficial, but we know it does. And then try them on. You know, most coaches will offer some kind of discovery or trial call that's kind of free or discounted try them on see if they're the right fit for you because that's really the thing this is someone that you're going to work with closely and if it's going to work well you need to feel totally comfortable in sharing sensitive personal information your feelings so you can't get much more sensitive personal than your feelings so you've got to be able to share those with that person and you've got to be have that feeling that this person is actually going to move you forward Remember, a coach is not a therapist. They will listen, and, and sometimes that's all they'll do is just listen for you. But they're not a therapist. 
They're not looking backwards. They're looking forwards to make sure that this is someone that will help you turn things into action and hold you accountable for following through on those actions. That's very cool. I, yeah, no, I was just going to say my process for finding you. Oh, yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> was I interviewed about six or seven different coaches uh, that I had found through Google and like other coaching websites mm -hmm. that I uh, had found. And for me, it was looking for someone who had gone through life experiences that I hadn't gone through. One, two, I had a very similar outlook on life and an outlook on the future. Um, and then three, someone that, you know, I would be friends with outside of, you know, a formal uh, as well. So, you know, you got to find people, you got to find someone that's going to work for you. I love your analogy of, you know, trying on clothes um, because, you know, for me, a lot of the people that I interviewed, yeah, you know, they had the right mindset, right attitude. Um, but I felt like I had gone through more life experience than they had, which made me uncomfortable. Like, what is somebody who has only really been working for two years going to tell me about? corporate like how to manage corporate politics um so you know you gotta you gotta find what really resonates with you right that's was my press yeah sorry i'm laughing because now i'm getting this vague memory i've got a feeling it might have been you that said i was looking at all these coaches and i think you're 20 cent then what do you know about life and then i saw you and i thought oh thanks <laughs> i was just politely saying you're old but that's okay <laughs> And so, but I'm very good at uh, backhand couple that start. Yeah. Well, maybe not that good. <laughs> but that thing about someone that you feel that you could be friends with, I'd possibly challenge that slightly because, of course, you don't want someone that's just going to say yes, flat to you. I mean, some people maybe they do. But some people that too. Yeah. It's, it's someone that's actually going to help you move forward. and But it does require a type of relationship. And there's a great guy, Edgar Shine, and he's very big on the kind of business side. It, um, he's the granddad culture, organizational culture. But also, he's very big into coaching, leadership, and he has this idea humble inquiry and for that where coaching is really good that it looks at different levels of relationships and quite often most of the things we do professionally are transactional relationships you go to the doctors they check your blood pressure blah, blah, blah. you go to the bank it's transactional but for things like coaching you can do it transactionally but if you take it to the next level where you genuinely care for your client's outcome where you really are invested in them, that takes it a different level. And sometimes that means sharing stuff, like sharing stuff today. We both, well, obviously you're clients, so you're going to share stuff. <laughs> That's the general idea. But I share stuff with you that helps build that relationship that we're not operating at this transactional level. We've got this level two, the next level relationship. And to me, that's probably the essence rather than actual friendship. And of course, friends quite often are level two. That's happens to be the case. Just building on that feet and talking about friendship, 
you know, the friends that I admire the most in my life are the people that are willing to give me the feedback, willing to tell me the stuff that I might need to improve on or doing wrong, right? Uh, versus a lot of people who just, you know, uh, either are in, like you hang out in the same social circles, therefore your friends, and outside of, you know, general, um, hi, how are you? And, you know, you're doing great. Oh, wow. Uh, there's not much more interaction than that. Whereas when someone gives me a quality piece of advice or feedback, um, based on where I'm at, I appreciate that hundred thousand times more than just flattery. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Exactly. So in terms of, um, in terms of takeaways for the audience, um, and this conversation from your point of view, Pete, um, what do you, what three takeaways do you want to leave the audience with? I'm going to do it as three quotes. Very cool. I, you know, me and my quotes, that could end up being a bit paraphrased, but the one is really this focus on meaning. Because meaning is the true thing. And if we know our meaning, it helps rapidly. So that applies to everything we do. Let's align with our meaning, focus on that. So as Jim Rowan says, don't major in minor things. Focus on the big stuff, the stuff that really matters. So that would be takeaway number one. Takeaway number two, because we've mentioned it multiple times, I think, in this podcast, Stephen Covey's start with the end in mind have that big picture view and know where you're heading because if you don't know where you're heading you're at the mercy of the rest of the world because they'll take you wherever they're heading and the third well, we've talked a lot about execution actually turning up and doing it so zig ziglar uh, and other than having a great name it, he was just an inspirational force in sales and motivation and personal development but it was you don't have to be great to start but you have to be but you have to ah oh, let's do that one again <laughs> you, but zig ziglar you don't have to be great to start but you have to start to be great love it especially that uh zig ziglar quote you know half the time well, i don't want to say half the time i'm going to say a lot of the time the people that i respect the most are the people that follow through and it is very rare to see someone follow through with commitments i have this thing uh, i call it clean slate theory where <laughs> i start everybody on a clean slate i don't care your appearance your race your educational background what school you are like i don't care about any of that stuff everybody is on a blank slate what i judge you by is number one how you treat people and number two do you follow through with your promises and your commitments and in a work context the third thing i look at is how competent are you at your job, right? How good are you at what you're supposed to do? But on that second point of keeping your promises and commitment, you know, I, I find it extremely rare to find people who, you know, when they say, I'm going to do X for you within Y time, you know, a lot of people will do the X, but they won't do it within the Y time frame, right? Um, yeah, true. So when you're committing to doing something, I find like I use that personally um, to not commit to anything that I know that I can't do, right? I don't want to say yes um, to anything if I know that I don't have the capacity, the resource, the mind space to actually do it, um, which if someone says no to me for something that, you know, is obviously too difficult for them to do or that I have the capacity to do, 
I respect that more than someone who just says yes for the sake of saying yes and then they disappoint me by not following through. So starting getting to that start and building your life or building your life habit and building your day to be able to get to yes or to be able to commit to those extraordinary things and having that capacity to do to do the extraordinary it takes a lot of work but once you get there that's when you can really you know do some really exciting things and without having a coach or without doing this work that i've done with you there are a lot of opportunities that i would have had to pass because i was simply not organized enough to actually do them thank you pete um, i was gonna say i'll take that <laughs> but you have put the thing that actually okay the coach helps you but it's ultimately you and in terms of follow through if you say you're going to do something do it because if you don't do it for other people chances are you're not going to do it for yourself so how are you going to get what you want in life if you can't follow through it's so simple it's so simple but i just don't get why it's so hard to follow through for so many people it's and i'm guilty of it too right i've been talking about getting fit for the last 10 years I've only really taken it seriously for, I want to say, the last two years or post-COVID. Um, mm-hmm. All that was kind of like on and off. Um, but, you know, how whoever solves, you know, or whoever creates the pill for commitment and follow through, it's going to be a multi-trick there. But, you know, getting to that point and getting the help uh, around you to develop that sense of accountability is certainly a life skill that everyone needs to have. Yeah, exactly. And that commitment, I have to take a Tony Robbins quote, but commitment is an action word. And if you don't act, you're not committed. So, cool. so Pete, um, just wrapping up the podcast, um, how can people reach out to you uh, if they want to learn more about you and all of the wonderful work that you do? Well, best ways to talk to me. And if they want to talk to me, i quite happy to uh short introductory chat for people that are truly motivated to move forward in their life um best way to do that just go to my website peakcoach.com and there they can connect with me via linkedin easy cool lovely to have you on the shirt painting um it's been a pleasure to work with you so far and i'm going to be working with you for a long time coming um thank you for being on the show today yes it's a pleasure and it's also been a pleasure working with you and seeing your personal growth. And that's what it's all about. And happiness. Right. Good. All the best.